So welcome to episode 16 of the Doratus Mind podcast with myself, Gaz Bamford. This episode, I was lucky enough to be invited onto a podcast with Adam Peaty, the British, European, World and Olympic swimming champion and world record holder 11 times. It's tough to follow that intro. I was invited on alongside 40 Fitness Training based in Loughborough and to chat to him about all things mindset, preparation, what it takes to get to the top, resilience, self-discipline. It was great fun comparing notes. Hope you enjoy it. Um, let me know what you think. A few links afterwards. Enjoy. All right, so shall we kind of just do it by a quick introduction to each other? I'm Spence. I run um, 40 Fitness Training. Really thankful to have... Um, Ads and Gary here today, but we'll let them introduce themselves. So I'm Adam PT, uh, British, European, Commonwealth, World, Olympic champion. Uh, I've got all the records in those individual championships, as well as the world record, which we have 11 times now broken uh, in total. So yeah, quite a lot of uh, <laughs> accolades in the last kind of five years, but it wasn't always that way. We're, you know, we started off a very, very competitive, very hard uh, junior season I guess and we kind of build those blocks and obviously my coach Mel Marshall we've kind of been together now for 11 years so some would say that she's a, a, a kind of very important to my success in a sense but I kind of found swimming um, not only kind of relaxing for my mind and my mental health from a young age that it just got, gave me a place to be gave me a sense of purpose um, and really I just pushed every single day to become faster better stronger more powerful and it really came down to kind of loving you know loving the sport loving love winning you know everyone loves to win but also when I did lose I kind of loved that a little bit more because it gave me that fire um, that I kind of seeked every single day throughout my career I've had these kind of these pinch points where you know I've gotten back up on my own two feet and just you know went for it 10 times harder some days and uh, yeah that's it me that's it really <laughs> Oh, and I've got a little boy on the way in September. Oh, congratulations on that. That's going to change definitely. That's going to probably test your mindset more than anything has before, Adam, just for information, yeah. just in preparation. Play, to be honest, I was thinking, yeah, you've got no idea, has he really? But yeah. Uh, Gaz, over to you then, mate. Yeah, so uh, hi, I'm, I'm Gaz Banford. Um, I'm a former uh, Special Forces Sergeant Major, did o- over 22 years um, in the military from began in the Royal Marines, um, then uh, 9-11 happened, for those that can remember it listening, and, and I was serving in the Royal Marines at the time. So I, I watched that and at the time felt really strongly that I wanted to try and help that situation that not happen again. So I, the only route I could see to do that was to volunteer for Special Forces, a course that I'd seen many people try and fail before. Um, and again, I never viewed myself as physically excellent. Uh, I had a go at this uh, course, uh, again, past first time, uh, 95% of people fail and from trained soldiers, um, you know, the very best of what British military has got really. And again, I never thought about that at the time. This is all sort of reflective. Um, and I, um, I, I went through first time. And again, that's not to swing my lantern. It's just because um, the, I understand the reasons why that was, and we'll probably unpick that. Um, that put me into a career for, best part of 16 nearly 17 years um, at the pointy end of, of, of military operations for the UK um, genuinely traveled around the world spent many 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 years um, deployed um, living in chaos living from young man in that job all the way through to a very senior leader like I said up to sergeant major through all of that so again a lot of experiences in there um, my, my career uh, ended uh, the 
beginning of last year. And for the final part of it, a lot of what I was doing was coaching and mentoring future aspirants um, into that job. And what I realized and how I got some success was building relationships and trust. And again, I knew, and I'd always done coaching and mentoring through my career, naturally with my teams um, and been coached and mentored equally uh, throughout my career. Um, but again, as a kind of dedicated mentor to lots of aspirants coming through that process, I, I tried to unpick what the characteristics were that we all needed. And uh, uh, that has driven me into um, being more and more focused. Again, something that I've always been interested in is that psychological aspect. I studied at college before I joined the military and I've always used it throughout my career to cope with the stress that, again, we might may or may not come into in the, on the chat. But um, um, I know that that's the thing that made the difference. And again, I kind of expect when I speak to Adam um, that, you know, his strength will be in that field as well. There's a lot of physical specimens out there in the world that can train really hard, um, but it's, it's living in here and dealing with the stuff that goes on in here that I think really makes the difference. I like how you both like sort of downplay yourselves as well quite a lot. I see you both as being elite and obviously you're elite in different places or you've been elite in different places. There's obviously a crossover, isn't there? I can't speak for Adam, but I know it's the case. Below me, there's a massive pyramid of people that probably started the journey that have kind of frittered away as the kind of time's gone on and the, the challenges have gone on. And so um, I, I'd struggle with that, but equally I can understand that before me is, is a whole host of people, thousands probably that kind of thought about it, you know, and I'm, yeah. I'm, I do meet a lot of people that kind of talk about, oh, I was going to do that, but this happened, but that happened. It's like same with professional football. And, and I, I talk a lot with sport around this, about this, we, we, Again, Adam, I don't know if you can relate to this. We, we often see our world through this blinkered lens and we think we're normal. Uh, and then we go, actually, sometimes we've got to pull ourselves out of this thinking because we, there is a lot of people that can't relate to the stories that we end up telling or they don't pick themselves up once they fall, basically. And, and we go, well, no, you've just got to keep going. This is the secret sauce. And, and people go, no, it's got to be more complicated than that's that. I need, a, I need a new hack. Day, really. yeah. I, 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 obviously, you've both been like at that top level. Anyway. I think it's interesting that there's obviously a crossover. And like you say, you guys probably think of it as just being, well, you know, this is just me. This is how it is. Whereas everybody else is like, well, there must be something more to it. And that's yeah, yeah. what we're trying to pick a little bit. Like, so I personally am fascinated by what you've just touched on there, which is the mindset, how you did come up through the ranks because you were able to focus yourselves more. So, I mean, I mean, I had a few questions coming in. I mean, one of them really it relates to both of your training styles. So, I mean, obviously this is kind of aimed at both of you, but if we go with ads first, can you just briefly give our guys an example of what your training would be like on a weekly basis? People to understand, I've obviously looked into it. I want people to understand just how much you physically put yourself each week. So can you give us a little <clears> bit of Yeah, so... In a week, we do 20 hours in the pool. Uh, of that, we'll do a lot of like uh, max heart rate stuff, uh, a lot of threshold. But if we're not doing that, we're kind of going easy, focusing on technique. I'm a strong believer, obviously, like you, you know, the graft will get you the results, but it's also the finer details where you become not only a winner, but a world record holder. There is a very fine balance where you've got to have that graft, but you've also got to have that articulate balance with you know, what you do. And then we do 10 hours in the gym as well. Um, so you're looking at 30 hours just working out, um, pushing your body to the max. And then you're looking at another five hours, six hours, seven hours, whatever it's going to be. Stretching, physio, nutrition, talks, all this kind of stuff. So 
I see it as like a spider web. You've got the core of the business, which you know is my gym, is my swim. That's going to make me faster, stronger, more powerful. But then you've got everything around. So you've got, I've got to work with you know the bio, the biomechanics. Uh, you know, looking at where my stroke is underwater, analyzing every single detail where the water's flowing past me. Uh, my nutrition. How can I you know get leaner, but also maintain my strength? How can I get more powerful? How can I sleep better after uh, 300 milligrams of caffeine uh, when I'm racing? So we're looking at, you know, it's so articulate and so fine, but for me, I've never really been that kind of person where I can take all this information and I've got a very short attention span because I'm all about the race. I'm all about, you know, getting in their heads first and, you know, giving it, just going for it really. So I let Mel kind of deal with what I need to, you know, what I need to be doing. She filters all that information. So if she says you need to get a little bit leaner or you need to get a bit faster, I'd be like, okay, how do I get faster? Just kind of swim faster. That's it really. Keep it simple. Um, and how do I get leaner? Just taking you know, less calories or do intermittent, intermittent fasting or just clean up the diet. I never really agree saying, oh, you know, my job is 30 hours a week, 35 hours a week because my job is 365 days a year. Like there is no rest. Even in lockdown, you know, I've still got to look at my diet. I've still got to look at you know, how much training I'm putting in. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's 365 days a year. And that's why, you know, when Gary says, you know, you know, you can put in all the training you can possibly do and you, know, you can push yourselves and get to the race and completely topple over. So, you know, what's the point in that if you're not looking after your mental health, if you're not looking at your, looking after your performance side of things. So I believe that and this is the way I see things and, you know, not everyone agrees, but I believe that, with sport and especially athletes if you're gonna have a goal which is the olympic games and breaking the world record in that final uh, you've got to get everything right between now and then obviously since corona came about um i was going to compete in august and everything was lining up or july and everything was lining up perfectly now it's been shifted back a year it's like you have to take your whole preparation and do it all again uh, not to say that all that preparation for olympics has been lost but you know, we kind of build off that and adapt again. So when we get to the Olympics, you know, this time around, you know, a lot is a lot is going to be different. And we have a boy uh, who's going to obviously keep me awake at night and all that preparation is just going to change. And I think obviously I'll use that as a motivation. Um, but I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to the challenge. I think I've always I've always looked forward to the challenge. Um, and, you know, again, once something hard comes in my path, I somehow find a way just to kind of keep it simple. You know, if I need to be faster, I'll, I'll get faster in a sense. So there is a large training, but oh God, there's, you know, a lot more kind of mental resilience um, and focus because with me, I've always struggled to keep my muscle mass down. Um, I'm a super adapter as the team call it. So if I'm doing something for three weeks, I'll always be so far ahead of the rest of the group. Um, my body puts on muscle ridiculously easy, which isn't good for a swimmer, but it is also good if I am a swimmer. So it's a, it's a very fine balance, which I've got to, you know, uh, get right. So I hate running, but I've started running now. I'm just getting ridiculously, you know, fitter and faster and um, cycling yesterday. So I've, I've always enjoyed challenging myself. I think that's a lot of my success. Uh, I just enjoy the challenge really. Cool. And can I throw that to you as well, Gaz? I mean, obviously yeah. the fitness training, obviously different because I mean, but, but, but I guess Adam obviously you're training for a very very sharp point whereas Gaz the stuff that you guys were being asked to do is very much more you, you kind of had to be good at sort of a lot more didn't you you couldn't kind of necessarily excel at one part of fitness you had to be strong and fit and 
able to carry loads and endurance. So, so I mean, can you give the guys a bit of an idea about how you how you train? You know, the elements that were important to you would be really yeah. It's funny because the word special forces actually skews people's thinking. Um, very generalist, like you've just explained. With the training we did was very general, and actually, um, I, I would probably sort of this is where mine and Adam's worlds are very different or were very different in many ways regarding the training because um, I know and again I'm saying this from a perspective of having coached mentored really hundreds of people through the, the selection process to get in so I'm talking about pools of Royal Marines paratroopers the very best of the army etc that's got to offer um, and coaching them through this this probably the biggest challenge in their life at that point. So there's a very clear focus to their training for that period of time. Um, and there's things that they need to be good at and there's things that they don't need to be very good at. Um, but people still love to focus on their bench press. They still lo love to focus on their back squat, these kind of things. What is important is I know that the performance kind of levels that people need to meet are about there, you know, very achievable actually for most people. Um, and Adam touched on it, the psychological kind of levels that people need to reach are right up there. And, and what does that mean? Well, it's that, it's that grit and determination because the challenge is gonna come when it's absolutely throwing it down at four in the morning, freezing rain sometimes upon the Brecon Beacons. And we're talking three, four weeks of this, um, day after day after day, uh, the physical challenge of going out for a 70 mile bike ride, for example, is, very similar you're going out for a few hours you know that's the challenge but actually it's the time in the gaps the time before the truck ride to the start point the, the chat that's going on you don't know where you're going uh, each time you're set you're set off and uh, you don't know you're told where you've got to go you've got to take yourself there and then you've just got time in your own head for, for hours sometime um, working hard obviously but again there's a lot of unknowns and you've got to live with those those unknowns now Clearly, the Hills process is only three or four weeks of four weeks in when I did it but of the process. And there's a, you know, six months is the test. And that's a long time to kind of prime yourself for this event that's six months long. So actually, your training has to be very generalist, um, you know, to be you've just got to be robust. And it's it's a very subjective quality. Um, and the process will filter out the people that aren't robust like. Um, I, I often, again, at the start of the process for many people that aspirants, if you like, um, used to say, look, we're not looking for Ferraris. You know, Ferraris don't pass the process. Ferraris will do great on the hills. But put a Ferrari in the jungle for six weeks, then you're not going to last. We, we're looking for tractors that are just great performers, all-rounders, can just keep going forever and just won't quit. They'll last for 20, 30 years. That's what we're looking for. And I think that helps people because people can easily measure their their running speed they can easily easily measure their the distance they can cover uh, over time uh, great measure but it's hard to measure um, how much mo motivation you've got inside or how much willpower uh, you can and, and again absolutely was nodding away to what adam says i everybody that i've ever worked with um, all, all the people in my organization previously love the challenge. They love that challenge. So the fact that something is difficult is why they want to do it. To get into special forces is a challenge and people go, that's what I want to do. When they're in special forces, that's not enough. They want to go and challenge themselves against harder because that mental 
challenge again i and again i used to swim competitively i can remember all those feelings that i had around that challenge and the butterflies that you get before a competition that to people would put people off some people would put people off i love it i, I go that's my body preparing itself that that feeling i had translated perfectly to when i was getting on board a helicopter to go and do something on an operation that body, my body would have the same reaction. It's your body priming itself for a, a physical threat, a challenge. But you know, it's how you take that physical response and then turn it into, you know, this is me getting ready to do what I need to, to do. And I'm again, I'm fascinated with Adam really with regards to you know, kind of the Olympic final, that feeling. I know the automatic negative thoughts will be there. You've done everything you can, but they're still, those butterflies mm. are still there. And it's how you challenge yourself to deal with that that is, the difference between the people that I think, in my world anyway, that do great and those that underperform. Can I build on that? It's um, yeah. I completely agree, and I think with the butterflies and with you know the the kind of challenge of the arena, uh, as we call it, you almost program yourself to have those feelings and have a positive uh, kind of output on that. So if I was feeling nervous or I was feeling you know my breathing wasn't you know right or you know when your body just kind of wants to cramp up and just go like this I was like okay why am I feeling this I, I'd be completely honest with myself and I'm feeling nervous as someone done a fast time in the morning someone done a fast time in the evening or you know the Olympic Games you know billions of people are watching and I only get this opportunity every four years well five years now and it's kind of but that kind of made me feel alive I was programmed to have that feeling, but it also made me feel alive. Um, we, we did a bit of work with an ex-SAS uh, um, person, you probably know him, um, but he basically says competition is the bread of life. And for me, that just kind of stuck. Kind of every competition, probably over the last three or four years now, since we've been working with him, um, I've just gone in there completely in control of my own emotions because I was honest with myself. If I'm trying to hide these feelings or I'm trying to, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit scared of, you know, what might happen with this competition. You know, you, you're just not going to be honest with yourself. And I always think that the best performances come when you've programmed that kind of correct response uh, to the nerves or to those feelings. And you can just completely be free and not be anxious, if that, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're accepting it, aren't you? You're always embracing mm. that feeling because you know that's what it needs to be to get you to that like performance mm. level, I suppose. And that goes for both of you. It's heightening your senses. It's it's a physiological yeah. response, isn't it, to what's going on? But, I mean, you've just touched on how you coped with that, or sorry, how you use that. But are there things that you've learned? You touched on breathing, and I know, guys, you've mentioned that before in some of your podcasts. Is that something that you do, things like box breathing techniques, you know, that kind of stuff? Does that have, have, have any help, or is it a lot more than that? Yeah, can I, can I comment? So, so what I heard Adam sort of describe there was a, an awesome self-awareness um, and there's self-skills that you can have and again this is where good coaches help people to understand this so uh, again I, I was very competitive as a young person even through my whole career viewed every challenge as, as exactly that it's something an obstacle to uh, get some feedback on how I've done uh, competition being the bread of life. You know, the, the root of, the, I've, I've said this before in, in stuff I talk about, the root of the word contest is to testify against. So you, you're, you're actually testifying to yourself. So a contest is for you to learn more about yourself and it gives you self-awareness. So you know how you better deal with these challenges. You know how you'll react 
in a certain final or in a certain operation in my world. And they're very similar. With regard to the, the self-regulation, what I would say is another self-skill, the self-regulation. Once you've got the awareness that like Adam described it perfectly, he's, he's cramping up, he's aware of that, he's, he's aware of his breathing. A lot of people haven't got that self-awareness and they don't have that self-awareness because the first time you do something, more often than not, you, you, you're just so focused on the task. Um, and because he's got lots of experiences, that makes him experienced and you, your body becomes um, better at opening up its view and going, right, what's going on here? And again, in my world, that, that helicopter ride to an operation, you know, there would be times, there's certain phases of that, you know, again, the orders process before you go anywhere is giving you some horrendous information if you see this as a threat to you. Um, with regard to the people you're going to try and maybe detain or whatever. And, and, and that, if you interpret that information in a negative way, then you, it's understandable that you'll be very nervous before the event because there's lots of bad things that could happen. Now, on that helicopter flight to wherever you're going, it's going to be cold, dark, windy. You're going to be in this world all by yourself for maybe, maybe two hours flight at least. There's a lot of time to think. And again, this is where what I call in the gaps with your thinking. And that's where stresses happen. And you have to try and you be again have the self-awareness that you're thinking negatively for starters that there's a lot of things that you can catastrophize about that probably aren't going to happen because you've done this 10 times before maybe 20 30 100 times before um, and nothing really bad has happened but your brain will still give you the worst case scenario so you kind of have to be aware of that is the key and then have the self-regulation so i would say i did do breathing strategies. I did do uh, self-skills like visualization and self-talk, but, but certainly when I was in the thick of my operational tempo, um, no one had coached me to do that. I was one of the, again, I had an interest in performance psychology and and I had learned to, to do certain things. I'd learned that if I'm just going to worry about what's about to happen when I run off, my performance isn't good. That happened and I learned from that experience and then adjusted what I did from then on and made improvements. Towards the end of my career, I absolutely tried to be an ambassador for coaching this into where we uh, knew there was going to be pinch points with the stress. We are going to be stressed at this point. Before you jump out of an aircraft on a parachute jump, there's the high chance that your body's going to be kind of elevated physiologically. And so if you optimize your breathing at that stage, coach yourself into that, then absolutely you will deal with that that situation better towards the end of my career we started to coach that in i completely agree i think 90 percent of my success is down to the visual visualization trying to predict what's going to happen before it happens or just getting your mind used to that arena so before rio uh, before the 2016 olympics the year before i raced uh cameron vanderbur he's south african and he was a previous uh, olympic champion previous world champion and we were racing in russia and this was my first major championships. Didn't really know that much about, I wasn't, I was self-aware, but I didn't have many arena skills as, as they're called. When you're in the arena, your energy goes in all different types of directions. Oh my God, there's Michael Phelps. Or, oh my God, there, there, world records popping up everywhere. I'm in Russia, like what is going on? And, you know, I'm a young lad uh, just experiencing all these amazing things. And he, we raced each other and we got to the heats, the semis were, you know, touch and toe, like really, really close. I was a world record holder at this point, um, but I wasn't swimming, you know, great. I was swimming good, but not great. And we got to the final, got to the 50 meters and he 
was like, oh, touch. I was like, oh my God, I must be on a war record here. I'm, I'm, a, I'm dead far ahead. Turned my head slightly. All I could see was feet. I was like, <laughs> I was like, I touched. And I was like, right, I've got some work to do here. 25 meters to go. I was like, all right, if I catch this, I need to catch him now. All this training that me and Mel have pushed to the extreme limit, this is where it comes in. I can either give up or I can, you know, push on. And my heart, I just felt my heart like working over time. And I just went boom, boom, boom. And I touched him out by about that much. Uh, so that was a world champion. A year later, I was like, okay, you know, this whole season, I've got you know, all this time now to learn visualization, be completely in control of my emotions, try and predict if that happens again. What's going to happen if he's you know, you know, a meter ahead at the turn or he's a meter behind at the turn? But realistically, I think I learned by the time that that Olympics came around, it doesn't matter what those other people were doing because it was uncontrollable. You can't control the uncontrollables as much as you would like to. So I was like, you know what? This doesn't even matter anymore. This is not about him. It's about me. So I'm going to give my complete, honest, 100% commitment to my training, to my visualization, to, you know, just being in control of my mind. So realistically, it was, that year was just all about tunnel vision uh, and not really caring about, you know, who was left of me, who was right of me. And I was just in, I, I think that's when I was most free. Uh, and ever since then, I've, my visualizations become a little bit more fine-tuned, uh, a little bit more balanced. But I always take into a race now, I take in three things which I can work on and, and improve. Whether it's the dive or the turn or the back end speed, I just kind of, if you take in too many things, I don't know if you found this, if you take in too many things into an operation or uh, a training program, you just lose your head. I can't, I can't keep all these things in my mind and you know, perfectly execute, execute every single one of them. So I have a maximum of three things I take into a race and then the rest is just going goofing it and just I always say on I don't know if I'm allowed to swear in this podcast but you know uh, you can bleep it out but I get on the blocks and you'll see me nod my head just kind of open my chest up um, and kind of lift my head up when I'm out so if I'm coming out and I'm waving like this um, it just shows it just teaches my body that I'm not ready for the fight I'm not ready uh, to perform but if I'm lifting my head up I'm taking in all emotions I'm enjoying the crowd and it teaches my body that I'm there to conquer in a sense so it's these little arena skills that match with my visualization because I've already thought of these moments a thousand times before I've even reached the Olympic Games. Uh, I'm still doing it now. So having these mental skills which you can tap into is you know, absolutely vital. Yeah, can I, can I comment on that? So there's, a, there's so much crossover there, it's untrue. Because I, I've told a story before, I joined Special Force. I was experienced as a Marine. I'd done five or six years. I've been really lucky in that time to go on a number of operational deployments. They'd given me some experiences uh, and that's important, arena skills like Adam was saying. I then joined Special Forces, uh, went straight out to one theatre um, and again, spent six months there doing exactly what I had joined to do. It was, it was fantastic. I, I really had some amazing experiences. Nothing terrible happened. Um, and if I'm honest, the kind of stuff we were doing was pretty comfortable. Um, that sounds crazy, but it was it was pretty comfortable. We were driving everywhere we needed to go, jumping out and doing what we need to do. Um, and I started hearing about stories about Afghanistan. And I'd, I'd never been to Afghanistan at this point. This was 2003. Friends of mine were starting to get injured um, in worse. A couple had been killed. My first operational deployment um, out to Afghanistan, the first day we landed. So we traveled for between 18 and 24 hours. I can't remember now to actually get there. 
we landed by day that night we were going out on, an, on, a, on a what we call a handover operation with the guys that we were taken over from they naturally pushed us to the front because they'd done six months of this and were about to go home to see their family right and so i would had all these fears and uh, just days before i got there a great friend of mine a guy called mike jones um had ran off the back of a helicopter um, and been shot in the head and killed instantly nothing he could have done uh, tragic and uh, um he that was all going through my mind when we landed um, in theater and the first operation my performance was awful i didn't have although i'd had lots of experiences they were very different because of the fear narrative that was going on inside my head the stories that i'd heard from other people um, about the kind of things that are going on in this uh, scary place that I'd never been to so you just catastrophize all these things and when I ran off the back of that helicopter my performance wasn't great now I was lucky nothing terrible happened but I on reflection I got a bit of needling from a few of my great mates which was a bit of banter um, but it really struck a chord because I knew my performance wasn't great um, and I just wanted to continually improve myself from from that point on by the end of that tour you know that, you know as doing great in my mind things had gone really good so there's a lot of you know i i would also fast forward then 10 15 years of my time doing these kinds of things i'm one of the gray beards by the end of this you know i've gone to the gray beards a lot of experience i've got a lot of time like adam describes where i could be in the world championship final i could be on those operations and i've got so much experience in that arena that actually some of the stressful stuff the gunfight, for example, isn't as stressful as you might imagine, where, again, you've got lots of experiences of being in a, a gunfight, then your arousal doesn't, you can, you can manage that. And you know that actually that physical arousal is important to manage so that you can make good decisions. Um, and that comes with experiences. And you can't read about that. You have to do it. You have to live those challenges. And you can't experience a world championship final, I know, by reading a Adam's story about it in his autobiography which will be coming out at some point I'm absolutely sure um, and you know that's important because experiences can only be get from from taking yourself to this challenge and this contest this test of testifying to yourself of how you perform in that arena so you know it's important that people understand that there's no shortcut to this experience you need to live these experiences and get these experiences and you do that by being prepared to put yourself in that arena that's that's really important because um that we've said at the start that there's no secret source i think one of the things if i can just kind of quickly just kind of go in on that i think that's really interesting to hear because i mean obviously we talk about comfort zone and growth happens outside of the comfort zone it's so strange to hear you both say the same things it's like you have to you have to prepare to take those knocks you have to be able to accept in how you're going to feel when you go into those situations the only thing i can even liken i mean a tiny bit to is i've thrown into a white collar boxing fight i've never really fought before as a kid i mean very very quick background without getting a little violin out i was fat overweight smoked as a kid i was the i was the opposite to fitness if you like i didn't really get into it till my late 20s i was bullied quite badly as a kid which affected my mental health quite a lot so for me going in to do that like charity fight was quite a big thing and I can only describe it as just being an overwhelming amount of senses. I've done quite a lot of fitness training on bags. I've done quite a lot of sparring. But actually going from what I would say, perhaps what you would think as has been your training pool stuff. And I imagine you guys, it's that, you know, all the training at Hereford or wherever you were doing it at, or over at pool rather. It's like you're then jumping into that first fire, aren't you? And then suddenly all those other emotions just take over. And it's only by going and doing that again, I think, that I'll be able to understand that a bit more. I think, I think it's also willing 
will putting yourself in the situations willing to fail as well yeah. and willing to learn from those failures um and i think that's where you two definitely differ i think when things knock you guys it seems like well you see that actually as a chance to as you've just said that it's a chance to go forward isn't it and to move on and take it on learn from it go again and guys you must have been in that situation because i imagine during selection they must put stuff in your way that you physically can't do or you mentally can't do the whole purpose is to make you fail at those things isn't they it? absolutely want to give you a big enough challenge to make you think that you can't do that and to give up. Yeah, that's absolutely what they're doing. But what, what you're talking about there, Spencer, is something that happened for you, an event, and um, it didn't go the way you wanted it. Now, I've got lots of experiences like that. Again, I've, I've spoken about this time and time again. I failed so many times growing up. Well, not failed is the wrong word. I lost so many times growing up. Um, all the way through my teenage and beginning of my, all my sporting careers, we, you know, very rarely were we champions. Um, but every single time you learn from that and your boxing experience, you know, my advice to people in that scenario would be, what a learning experience that is for you to go in. You didn't have the self-awareness. You didn't have the ability to self-regulate because you didn't have the arena skills. Because I guarantee you the next time you, you would have done that if it was within a short amount of time, that thing would have been better managed and you would have been able to, as Adam describes, kind of on the starting block, look up, take in what's yeah. going on. There's a reason why the, the world's best boxers can perform and dance on the way down to the ring because they're just living a different experience than their first amateur fights. We never get to see that, um, that journey. You always see the end product, you know, the world champions, you know, Adam's like world champion and you don't get to see the teenage years, I'm sure, where wasn't this supreme athlete that is kind of at the very top of his game, but we go, Oh, he's genetically gifted, or oh, he's got he's, he's a superhuman, he's different to me. And that's what people love to do with anybody. They put them in this bracket and go, um, that's that's different to me, because that's the easy thing to do, because they don't mm -hmm. view the, the value that, that these years and years, decades of training day in, day out. Um, and again, that's fascinating to me with, with Adam's sport. Mine's very generalist, so I could my, my career was very varied and what we could focus on. And so I don't, I'm imagining your training is varied, Adam, but you know, how do you deal with the, the days and days of a very similar uh, lengths ultimately? Again, it's, it goes back to you. It's, uh, I think on certain days we're looking for a Ferrari, but most of the days we're looking for a tractor, something reliable, consistent. I think any great performer relies heavily on consistency. There's no point going out and running, you know, you know, four minute kilometers do you know what I mean for 10 kilometers or whatever if you can't do it the next day and the next day and then the next day so there's no point me at the start of the season going full whack at training because I know that that's just not gonna it's not gonna help it's not constructive to do that because I know I need to be full whack by the time I get to Olympic Games so what I am planning now and me and Mel are starting to plan we've already pretty much periodized what the Olympics is going to be like now already. We've already shifted and adapted our training program. Um, you know, depending when, you know, the lockdown eases, uh, we can, you know, fully get back to work. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just day in, day out consistency. That's, there's no special source, as you said, is most of my success is down to turning up every single day. Yeah, giving 110%, but also knowing that I've reserved this little bit of energy, this special energy uh, that I call it, for the harder sessions or for the races, because it really is a marathon, not a sprint. Um, you see loads of people at the start of the season going, oh, it's going to be the best season ever, you know, giving it full whack for three weeks. And then they're like, oh, 
I need a beer now or I need to, you know, calm it down and I need a sash. So for me, you know, you do like going out with the lads. I love having a beer and stuff, but I know that, you know, September is a time to build the foundation uh, for the house to be built. Um, and for me, you know, building those foundations are probably more important than the, you know, the actual, you know, January, February, March, which is when we do most of our work um, and building the technique so that we can, you know, push it even further and faster. So I always call it rhythm under pressure. Uh, and once you can always tell you're in rhythm because the harder sessions become a little bit easier mentally. Uh, the first hard session of the season is always a little bit nervous, but I love that because I'm like, oh, I'm not used to this. Uh, I wonder how this session is going to go. But as I'm getting older and a little bit more wiser, it doesn't really matter uh, as long as you give it 110%. I know it sounds cliche that, you know, you, you know, you don't lose if you give 110%. But in a sense, I've got a lot kind of relying on me, uh, especially when you've got kids uh, you know, being born and stuff like that. And you've got people in the house relying on you and you've got your family. Uh, but I think that adds a little bit more value to what you do uh, when you haven't been able to find that motivation or you haven't been able to find that extra gear, you'll be able to find it now. Uh, if you use it correctly, I think it's, it, it's going to be the most powerful thing that I've ever experienced. So again, I'm just looking forward to the consistency and waking up every day that I've got a, a higher sense of purpose now and uh, hopefully that equals a higher performance. Can I, can I comment on that? So there's 18 months or so ago, I was invited out to Philadelphia to do this uh, seminar with uh, something called the Mission Critical Team Institute. So Mission Critical Teams are people like um, myself, Tier 1 uh, SF, so American Soft were there, FBI were there, NASA were there. There's all these very high, SEAL Team 6 were there, all these very high performing teams were there. It was, it was a great kind of event to be at. And we were trying to unpick what this what these characteristics were that everybody had. And there's a number, but one of the biggest ones that everybody within these organizations, these elite teams, call them what you will, have got is self-discipline. Um, and when you unpick what that means, Adam described it earlier, he said, uh, he said the first hard session of the season. It's hard for him because he knows that's when he's got to start. You could turn up, I'm sure, Adam, and go, you could cruise if you wanted to. You don't have to put the hard working you could go and just go go 50 percent and and you're not going to get the results but you've got this self-discipline to know in self this you're testifying to yourself that no this is the time i've got to turn it up and put the work in um and that's a mindset challenge because people haven't got the self-discipline when things get difficult become uncomfortable um they go oh, this is a bit too much and I'm, I'm going to, I'll skip today and I'll, I'll, I'll start again tomorrow. I'm smiling because uh, my wife showed me this. I'm doing a lot of training in the gym at the minute. Might, I say the gym, it's a garage. Um, and uh, I'm going out for runs and training in my garage. And she saw this thing on Instagram. Instagram's amazing now for advertising home gym stuff and this device. I, I mean, I've been in hundreds of gyms. I've never seen this device before. It's kind of a, it's kind of a stand up rowing machine where you're basically doing sex thrusts. That's what I described. Uh -huh. as. Um, and I was like, it's, it's, she's like, it's all body workout. And I was like, I was like, there's really no, not. there's no secret. There's no secret new piece of equipment that's going to game change everything. Um, yeah. It's just that self-discipline to throw yourself into the challenge and, and go for it. I think with those, you see them all the time, those like six, the ab toners and all that kind of and because it's easy and i think society as general love to be comfortable whereas the true 
performers and people who gradually make their way along to performing and be the best performers in the world, whatever they do, love being uncomfortable. It's almost like being comfortable in uncomfortable in a sense. Um, and that's me really. I wouldn't find any pleasure and I'd hate to turn up to the pool or the training session each day and go, oh, it's easy today. I'm just, I can just take it easy. That's never happened. I don't like that. I like to continually push because I always see that as a reward um, for my body, for my performance. And I just, I think it's good for my, I always feel like the endorphin rush or the rush after training, no matter how hard it is and how tired you are, mentally you feel like, oh my God, like I've pushed today. I've put in a, a, a serious graft and there's no one else in the world doing this. Um, and there's so much more in that than just turning up and going, oh, it's just going to be you know, easy today. I'm just going to get my new row machine or whatever. That isn't what I'm about. Um, and I think people, I think everyone's capable of finding that. It's just finding their, their, their thing which they enjoy or their kind of output which they enjoy, whether that's weighing you know, lighter on the scales but, or you know, becoming faster per kilometer on Strava. Do you know? So they have their kind of individual goals and I think individual goals are so important. But I think when you start to compare and this is where society, look at Instagram, you, you compare yourselves and you compare you got all these apps where you compare yourselves around the, the world now and it's never happened before so this kind of overwhelming pressure that you feel to be better and you know look better is just some people just can't make that step or make that leap i think the key for me was understand that it's self-discipline so i absolutely my discipline was forged by certain organizations and wanting to adapt myself to become part of them initially the marines great foundations and then in, then subsequently special forces and i wanted to be a part of this organization and that forged me and the experiences i had forged me in that can i can i ask uh, if you don't mind, Spencer, sort of Adam on, on at what point? Because you've been forged throughout your career, I'm sure, and that and adopted that self-discipline. So my 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 discipline was was poor when I first started, and I I got better self-discipline. Um, but at what kind of stage would you say you had good self-discipline? And and at what point is the real question? I think for me, like when at what point did you realise I could be I could be world champion here? Or I could be Olympic champion. I think the self-discipline really really started when I honestly had the correct leader uh, and Mel was that leader she was a no bullshit coach uh, she's a no bullshit person so um, and she'll say exactly how it is I think as soon as I started to see results I became even more self-disciplined as I kind of got older and around 16 17 I was like okay you've got this opportunity here uh, it's going to be a huge gamble uh, but you've got this opportunity here either follow education uh, or give it 110 percent in into your sport and i chose sport just because education for me just didn't work um i believe there's very very different types of intelligence you, know, you got you know iq eq and the rest um i was very emotionally intelligent i was self-aware that you know i could be better than the world i could almost manipulate myself to become this person uh, and then I got to the Commonwealth Games, beat the, world, uh, beat the world and the Olympic champion when I was 18 years old because I just went into that meet. I was like, you know what? I've got nothing to lose. He's, he's got everything to lose. And I think he was self-aware of that. Um, and I think that got under his skin or, you know, he wasn't prepared as much as he should be. We're good, you know, really good friends now. Uh, but, you know, when you're in the arena, it's, it's anyone's. Uh, you know, you would kill for that title in a sense. Uh, and we were both 
very similar like that. But after that, you could shake hands and, you know, have a beer. I became kind of self-aware that I could be successful. Uh, yeah, I'd say 2014 when I was around 18, 19 years old. And that self-discipline had been building for about four years prior to that. And then Mel never really had to worry from around 2013. So when I was around 17, she never had to worry about giving, you know, 110%. Um, but it was a two-year journey from becoming uh, this person who did two hours a week swimming at 14 years old to at 15 years old doing 20 hours a week in total. So, and then throwing the 4 a.m. mornings, finishing at 10 p.m. Um, I think I just didn't want to waste the opportunity. I didn't want to show that disrespect to my parents who were financially, you know, it was putting a massive strain on the family and through time-wise as well, it was, it was putting a massive strain on my mum because my, my dad couldn't drive because he had a stroke when he was younger. Um, so my mum was literally doing all the work, taking me to school, getting me up really early at 4am. If you throw in all that competitiveness that I've got and all that motivation I've got, I just don't want to be another you know, guy who nearly made it. I want to, even if I got to 18 years old and look back and go, bloody hell, I gave it absolutely everything. That was a good run. Nana can join the army or something like that, that I would have done that. Um, but I'm still on that ride now and I've become a little bit more wise, a little bit more self-aware than I was. But yeah, now I just, I don't know. I think I've just got to that point now where I'm 25 year old and I don't really know how I've got it. I've just took each year as it, each day as it's come in a sense. And uh, I'm not sure if you like that. I think time just goes faster each year for me. Like your body needs to recover, your mind also needs to recover. So I'm using this lockdown to kind of recover my mind and completely go full at it for 12 months after this. And you know, give that best possible human performance I, I can uh, at the Olympics. You two just relied on motivation to have got you to the point where you needed to get to. It wouldn't have happened, would it? You didn't, you didn't wake up at 4am every morning super pumped, excited when you opened your eyes. I imagine you looked forward to it, but there must have been some days where it was I a bit... I looked forward to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, but then uh, for you guys, I mean, I, I mean, it makes me laugh about you kind of said three or four weeks on the Hill Programme, that's all it was, but... I mean, I've done a bit of reading about what that Hills program is on selection and three or four weeks. I mean, you make that sound like it's almost, oh, that was okay, but that must have been horrific in places. I mean, you know, I've always seen motivation as the spark to the fire. That's what gets you interested in doing something or giving yourself a push, but it's the discipline that adds the fuel. I'd agree, mate. I think what I'd add to that is uh, having a really powerful why, you know, and, and, you know, what, for me, it was, you know, again, I was at college um, and this green bit of cloth, which was a commando beret, um, really now I laugh about it because it means nothing, but it was so important to me to, I want to, my, I wanted my self image to be that commando. That's, I really wanted that. And that was the journey that I was prepared to take and do anything, literally crawl through broken glass to get there, you know, genuinely. When I spoke about the Twin Towers attack, for me, that just created this really powerful why for me I was doing it. So, yes, the Hills process was, and again, be, you know, you, you've read a book about it. So someone's written a book. They want to sell a lot of books. They're going to give you these absolute horror stories. And again, when you're in the military, anybody that's failed the Hills process is going to come back with a tail between their legs and tell absolute horror stories to protect their own ego to go this is the hardest thing you can imagine so this is all the narrative that you hear I honestly I tell this to so many people it's not that bad there's thousands and thousands of people that have passed it for starters so my mind goes well it's 
very doable. You know, I know some people that have done, there's only one or two people in the world that have ever done something. That's hard. But thousands of people have passed this process that have gone for it. Um, so that's very doable. And, and again, I always remember the first conversation um, on the, the first day of the Hills, I think it was, it was the chief instructor at the time. And he said, don't overthink this. It's a five hour walk every day. Then you come back here, you shower, you change, you've got a roof over your head, you're going to bed. Don't overthink it. And everyone in the audience, there's 200 of us going, yeah, right. This is going to be the worst experience of my life. Um, I, but I, I kind of took that forward. And when I was mentoring people uh, through the process, um, I very much kind of, you try to articulate that, knowing full well that the people listening have just got this horrendous narrative that they've built up because they know it's, it means a lot to them because it's the doorway to this new career that is going to, you know, get them experiences that billionaires can't get to do. So it's, it's, it's very important to people if you're looking for a certain amount of adventure and excitement, that's for sure. Um, but it's, it is just a process of getting up every single day. I mean, the self-discipline, when you wake up and your legs are stiff, your back's stiff, you've got blisters on places you didn't even know you could get blisters and go, well, hundreds of people have done this before me. I'm just not going to give up today. I always say to people, any conditions when you're going out for a run or going out for a hike, any conditions you could be in norway you could be in the desert 10 minutes into it you're not too bothered it's horrendous starting but 10 minutes in it's not it's not too bad it's never as bad you suffer way more in your imagination than you do in reality you can stick a jacket on you can get warmer you can have a flask of tea whatever it is it was hard it was hard um it was a great challenge um and you know there's lots of people that fail it but i know a lot of people fail it up there because physically it's it's not as challenging as people make out and i'm happy to debate that with anybody that's great and so conscious we've been going for a while now but i find this stuff fascinating i'm sure we can talk about it all day i mean if you can just give us a couple of takeaway really like little things about how you guys motivated if i think <clears throat> i think as you say motivation all will always fade away unless you replace that motivation with a higher purpose that it doesn't fade away also you know for let's say the average joe who you know, has a job and has a family to look after and you know, fitness is their, I don't know, like just their kind of happy place and their go-to places to keep turning up. I'd say having someone that relies on them to turn up in a sense. I think that's why gym partners are so important um, because I would hate, I think one of my main uh, thing, I said from it's my job, but growing up through the sport where I didn't get paid for what I do, I would hate to you know let Mel down or let anyone that was relying on me down. Um, because it's just not how I work. I, I love to obviously please people and have a, and just a, a not, just be a nice person and, you know, just show up on time every time. And, you know, if the sessions were there, I'd always take them because of the opportunity, because you never know when it's going to end. You know, you could walk out on the road now, get ran over and you'd never be able to walk again, you know, and you never know when it's freedom or a moment in your life that you, you, you possibly could take for granted. You never know when it's going to end. I think that's, a very powerful thing that Mel has always given me. Uh, we've been out to Africa a few times done you know, 500 kilometer bikes, uh, bike rides in the 42 degree heat. But between that, we've done uh, the village, the, some of the village we've been to, they've got absolutely nothing. And that gave me a perspective from a young age that you know, a lot of people have it a lot worse. And that's not to say, oh, you know, everyone in England has it okay. It's, it's completely not true, but in perspective wise, we we're we're all right, you know. We we can survive, and a lot of us, you know, have roof over our heads. We don't 
have a, a disease or a virus that's going to kill us in X amount of years because we can't afford a medication. Mal has almost sculptured this mindset of uh, gratitude and perspective. Um, I'm, you know, I'll always be eternally grateful for. I think that's my two cents, really. Oh, you go. Again, I, yeah, so I'm hearing a lot of accountability there, and I think that's really important. People, I think today often lack accountability to somebody or something. And uh, I think when you can align what you're trying to achieve, like Adam's described, to a, a, a greater purpose, then it, it's powerful stuff. People want to get holiday fit, don't they? They want to get holiday fit. And I, I think I think if people can kind of go, that's short-sighted. We're here for longevity, really. And how am I going to think about myself and think better of myself? Uh, because what we've described all the way through this is hunting almost for challenges. That's I absolutely hunt for challenges. We chatted the other day, Spencer, and you spoke about something in your gym when it reopens that we could do. And uh, I got, you know, I, I, fancy that. I fancy going down. A group of people that I don't know as a 41-year-old man um, to still put myself in that arena to go, go, you know, I'm going to try and I'm going to try and come out number one of that. And some people would go, well, that's arrogant. It's not meant in an arrogant way. It's a mm -hmm. challenge to myself to try my best and go, do you know what? I'm 41 years old. I'm still doing it. Um, and you can, you can do this. And it's like, if you want to, but you know, if you don't want to, that's fine. And, and I don't, I don't wake up in cold sweat sort of worrying about what my next challenge is. We've set up a slack line in the back garden, me and the kids and the, and the wife. I've, you know, trying to learn new things, challenging myself to new things. And, I look at all of them. Now, there's six of us in this house. I've been on it the most because I'm the one. I want to be the one that kind of the most proficient on it. Again, I'm just very. I'm just always looking for things to learn to look to myself and go. That's nice. It's a nice thing to be able to do. I think people should look to seek out challenges to themselves. There's thousands of people on Strava, and um, I, I genuinely. Uh, enjoy it there's the 5k challenges the, the 10k challenges um, there's all these things and yet if you compare yourself you're probably going to be number 200,000 on there with your 5k time look beyond that look where you were testify to yourself where you were last month and try and get your own progress take some perspective from that and go and this isn't about how you compare to everybody else so you don't want to be comparing yourself in a swimming pool to adam pt i'm telling you that now um but how you <laughs> but how you compare to what you did last month or the month before or 12 months ago two years ago there's one of your guys in your gym uh, uh spencer been lost under like four stone five stone you know he's got that context of what he's lost over period of 18 months two years and that's amazing you know so he that's that's a test of testifying to himself with that so i think people need to find out that and doing it for them rather than chucking it on social media for likes or whatever i think that's not as helpful as uh as, as people think it is that's awesome guys i mean i really really appreciate you taking the time as well i mean i'm kind of hoping people have similarity between you two in terms of that elite but very different situations and but actually, when you boil it down, there are some very, very similar kind of attributes that you've both got, have still got. I'd just like to say a massive thank you very much for taking the time to have a chat with us today. Uh, cheers. No, 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 I enjoy it. I could talk about this all day. I genuinely could. <laughs> <laughs>